Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. You need to be in John chapter 1. Last week, we started the series, um, instead of talking about the birth of Christ, we're going to focus on why he came. We're celebrating his birth, but we're celebrating his birth because we're celebrating why he came. But then, during this whole holiday season, we would need to be reminded what was his purpose. Why did he come? And so last week we talked about one of the main purposes was to come and be a light to this world. Well, we're going to do the same thing this morning, but say the same thing in a different way. Um, and so last week we saw that Andrew had, um, was falling behind Jesus because John the Baptist told him to. And uh, he said, you need to follow that guy. That's the Lamb of God. That's the one who came for the sins of all of us. He came to pay the price. He's the Lamb of God. Follow him. And so Andrew follows him, spends the day with Jesus. And then the first thing he does, as we see here, um, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now look and let's see what happens with this interaction. This interaction between Jesus and Simon or Peter is a very unique one. Remember, this is the first time they've met. So here in verse 42, we see this. Jesus looked at him and he said, he sees him, very first words, very first interaction. You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. And we know when translated, that means Peter. He just met him. Did you guys catch that? He just changed his name. He just met the guy. Have you ever had anybody do that to you before? Unfortunately, I can say I've done that to people because I just don't think I'm a nickname guy. Like I just, I, I have a weird name myself. I didn't give myself this nickname, but it's just kind of this thing. And so I'll meet people. That's a really bad situation, actually. This is an example. Luckily, he was a kid and they're moldable. And I think he'll forgive me and I think he'll forget. But it was one of my son's friends and they surf together. They're on the surf team together. And he goes, oh yeah, he's from Australia. And so it was Halloween, and they were going out together. And so all five kids were lined up. And I'm like, oh, hey, what's up, what's up? And the other kid, um, and he said his name. And I remembered, oh, that's the kid from Australia. And I went, oh, what's up, foreigner? It just came out. Like, to me, I was thinking, oh, yeah, because he's a foreigner. Let's have fun with him. He's a kid. He's a junior hire. You don't do that to junior hires. And if his parents were there, they probably would have thought, who is this guy? That is so bold to just come up and give my kid a name. Well, think about this interaction with Simon. He meets Jesus for the first time and Jesus decides to change his name. Literally says, you will be called Peter. Which means the rock. Uh, Petra, rock. Who does that? And especially in this culture. Because at the time... Of Peter, at the time of Simon Peter here, you don't mess with people's names because a name is all inclusive. It defines you. I mean, the closest you can think of is in, in the Native American culture where they will give someone a name and that name defines them. Now, Simon is already defined in the normal way of doing things. And Jesus references that. He says, You're Simon, you're the son of John. 
for many of you, you're just known because of your parents. Or at least you feel that way, right? Yeah, yeah, that's my, I'm, I'm Rick's son, yeah, or, yeah, Margaret, she's my mom, yes, I'm Margaret's daughter. Whatever it is, we sometimes define ourselves that way. And so in this culture, that's very important. But Peter comes in and has that all turned upside down. Because that's what God does. When God created, he said, let there be light. He defines. God is the one that defines. And that's the first thing that he does here with Simon. And that's why he came. We talk about him being the light of the world. But part of being the light of the world is coming in and bringing light into the darkness. That's what that means. And, and Simon here thinks he knows who he is. But Jesus is letting him know, I will let you know who you really are. Yeah, I just met you, but that's who I am. Because that's what God does. He names, he defines. And to a large degree, what I think that is saying is that this is who you think you are, but I know who you are underneath. Much like a sculptor works with a, a piece of clay, or, um, for example, you know, Janet worked with this pallet of wood. She saw what it could be. She saw that it wasn't just a pallet of wood. She knew what it could be. And, and so they created these. That's what artists do. Well, God, when he called Peter by that name, he was so far from being a, being Peter. And yet, God calls him by the name of his becoming, what he's going to be. And it's actually a little bit of who he is right then. And when I think of the sculpting, um, for those of you who know me, I'm, I'm an art nerd. Um, I love all the arts. I love, um, I love the visual arts from the movies. Uh, one of my kids has that. Like, I think he's going to be a movie critic because he just wants to find an excuse to watch movies all the time. Not just because he wants to watch movies, but he loves movies and the stories and maybe he'll write or whatever. But it's in our blood. Like, we love it. And uh, when I was younger, I wanted to go see the Statue of David. If you don't know what that is, it's, it's I'm telling the truth here. It's the greatest sculpture in the world considered, right? Okay, good. I throw that out there because that's what I think. And that's what other people say. But you got to talk to the super art nerd over here and she really knows. So I was making sure I got the, the nod that I was on the up and up there. And it's in uh, Italy. And I had seen the Pieta, which is in Rome. And I'd already made the decision ahead of time. I'm going to go see the Statue of David. And one of the things that I had been told, which always stuck in my mind, is that when, when Michelangelo was looking at this ginormous piece of marble, before he started it, he had to figure out what was inside. And so he, he yelled out loud, because artists... They're weird. And he yelled, like, what is in the rock? And it was in the open air. So if people were around, like, he wanted to do it in secret, but people would come, they'd hear this weirdo artist yelling, what is in the rock? Because he knew he was commissioned to, to, to do this statue of David. But nobody wanted to mess with this piece of marble because it had all these imperfections. It was this humongous piece of marble, and two other people had been commissioned prior to him to, to create the statue of David. And um, they just didn't do it. One guy, we're not sure what happened. And the second person, he just made such little progress that they just fired him. And so for 20 to 25 years, nobody touched this humongous piece of marble that just sat in an open field, just waiting for who the sculptor would be. 
And I love what Michelangelo said about the job of a sculptor. I want you to see this quote right here. He said, every block of stone has a statue inside it. And it's the task of the sculptor to discover it. And I think of Jesus interacting with Simon and he knows him. He knows him inside and out. He knows what's inside. God has come to let us know how things really are. We talk about him being a light to the world, but included in that is us knowing who we really are. And then by us seeing who we are, we can then look at each other and see each other for who they are. And Michelangelo is sitting there at this piece of stone and he eventually starts on it. And it takes him three years. He started in 1501 and he unveils it in 1504. So between two and three years. And in that process, he's doing it outdoors. He's screaming so people are walking by. He just finished the Pieta. He's, he's about 26 years old. He's now the most famous sculptor in all of Italy. And it's during the Renaissance. And here he is just trying to create this. And what he finishes with is this 14-foot statue. And here's the beauty. This is, he talks about every block of stone has a statue inside it, and the task of the sculptor is to discover it. When he looks into the stone, he sees what no one else has seen. All the other artists that had, had been commissioned and had considered this said, it just has too many imperfections. This piece of marble, you can't do anything with it. How many of you feel that way? You know what? There's too many imperfections. What, what is God going to do with this? In fact, they wouldn't want to mess with it because they said the imperfections would cause a statue of that size to, to fold on itself. It would break because of the imperfections. And, and he had to work in the outdoors. So you can imagine Michelangelo working out in the rain as he's sculpting. And they, they warned him ahead of time in the contract because they want to make sure he didn't find an excuse to get out of it. They said, look, you need to understand, like, this has been outdoors for 25 years, just sitting. Nature has ravaged it. So you're going to have to work with that. How many of you feel that same way? Like, just time and, and situations and circumstances and emotional trauma or whatever has got you to the point where you feel like, I've just been outdoors too long. Like, there's nothing. That, it's too late. And so Michelangelo took this on. And I remember I got on the train, then I'd get on the bus, then I'd walk forever, because in Italy you just got to walk. And you come, to this, uh, you come to this museum. In my opinion, there's really no other reason to go to that museum. They've built the museum literally around this 14-foot-tall statue. And so it's built around him, and then they have other things that Michelangelo has done. But nobody walks to those things. Everybody comes in just to see this statue. And I've seen other pieces of art. I've seen the Mona Lisa and, you know, ooh, the Mona Lisa. And there's this line, you get in line, and then you see it, and you're like, I don't get it. But when you see the statue of David, you understand something's different here. Not just because somebody pumped it up and, and exaggerated it or, or, you know, raised the bar high. Like, it's, you've got to think it's awesome. No, it's amazing. The determination in the face. And this is something that Michelangelo did that nobody else did. Every time they would show David, because this was the Renaissance, so that they, want, they knew what they wanted. They wanted a statue of David. This is important. It represents Italy. It represents this, this idea in Florence of standing up. And so he would always be seen with Goliath's head. So they would always do the statue of David 
with David holding Goliath's head, seeing, look what he's accomplished. But instead, as David was in the stone, as Michelangelo saw it, he saw him just standing there like ready to go. And if you see the face, and I was going to put the whole body here, but all you guys would go, all you, all you would see is, he's naked, because he's naked. So I actually had it. We we're supposed to have the slide up here and something glitched on the computer. Maybe it's the Spirit of God stepping in saying you couldn't handle it. I'm not saying you're not mature. I'm just saying for some magical reason, the picture won't show. Take for what it is. But there's this amazingness of him just standing there. Google it so you can see his face and see his body. It's just, it had never been done before. And that's why they say it was perfection. We're just talking about Michelangelo here. Michelangelo is not God. God is in the business of making masterpieces. And he never makes mistakes. And we are his And so whatever you think you've been through, you need to understand that one of the reasons that God came in terms of being the light of the world is to shine light on who you really are, to define you. You are not defined by your parents. You're not defined by your job. You're not defined what you think about yourself, right? Like, oh yeah, I'm smart. I'm dumb. I'm athletic. I'm a klutz. I'm a businessman. I'm clueless. I'm a mom. I don't have any children. I'm a grandparent. You're not how you define yourself. And you need to decide then who are you? Are you going to trust God to be the one that defines you? And that's what we're going to look at. And what struck me, if we can look here at John um, 1, 42, what really sticks out to me is that Jesus looks at him and he says, yeah, you're Simon. He throws his name out like, yes, you are Simon. And then he goes on to say, you are the son of John. It's almost like he's categorizing him. Can you see? It's almost like your identity. He's Yes, you are Simon. Your identity is Simon. Your identity is you're the son of John. But you will be. It's like a sculptor that looks in and sees what's really inside of him. And I want us to make sure we understand this. Because I think people think that when you are born again, that you become something different. Something new. Like the old just disappears and what was there is no longer there. And now you're a completely different person. And yet, as we look at the life of Peter, we're going to see that he is exactly who Jesus said he was. It's just that he gets sculpted and what's really inside comes out and he gets polished and shined up. Because when he says he's the rock, that word Petra, that means, well, it means, to, it means like an outcropping of what you would build a house on. But it also has other meanings. And one of the other meanings is, is to be brash, to be stubborn, to be passionate, but especially the stubborn and the brash, like, like rocky. Like, you know, you know when you're walking, if you're walking and you rub up against a rock. I don't know when the last time was you walked and rubbed up against a rock. But if you've done it when you've been on a hike, like you just don't do that. It's not very wise. You'll get cut up. And sometimes if, if you call someone rocky, it's like, dude, you're like jaggedy. It, it, it's much like if you see someone nowadays, we can give them a nickname that identifies them in that way if you if you run into someone that's like tender you're like oh softy i don't know if you you guys ever do that am i the only one that does that okay i guess i'm the only one you're such a softy or um you're just a big teddy bear which means there's someone that's large but they're really caring or um uh (laughs) 
my grandfather was a very short man. And, uh, but he always tried to walk really big. And he'd act really big. And so um, we call him Microman. Because he was small, but he was man. And you better make sure he knows you. Because he would just, you know, he's like overcompensating. You know, so he was like, so we call him Microman. Like you throw these names out. And yet, when he throws this name out to, to Simon, he says, you're Rocky. There's truth in that. Because Peter is abrasive. Remember Peter? Do you remember his life? Do you remember the things that he's done? Have you read the book of Mark? If you read the book of Mark, all you see is Peter as a complete knucklehead. You see him as a complete mess. And Matthew and Luke and even John are the same way. You just see Peter's abrasiveness. He's the one that said, hey, Jesus, I know you just said that we're all going to deny you, but I'm not. He's with all the other guys, right? They're all there. And he says this, even if they all bail on you, I won't. Who says that? A guy that has no filter. A guy that is brash and stubborn and just doesn't learn. I mean, he's a man now. Can you imagine the mistakes he made as a teenager? The dumb things that flew out of his mouth? And so it's almost when you can see Jesus running into him, he's like, yep, you're Rocky. Because of moments like that. And then in the life, when he's walking with Jesus... Then on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the soldiers come. The military, the police, they come in. And they come, and what does he do? He grabs somebody's sword and starts fighting the police. Do you have friends that have fought the police before? All of us have that one or two people, and we're like, yeah, they just never learn. That's just what they do. And, of course, that person has to have some kind of nickname because they just get in so much trouble because they do dumb things like that. That's what Simon does. And Jesus calls it before it happens. Who the heck is going to take on an army by themselves with a sword? After Jesus said not to. That's what he does. And Jesus sees that in him. But also, Jesus, because he knows Simon, knows also what's inside. He's a sculptor that can see inside of who he really is. And Peter is not all of a sudden going to become this gentle, kind, soft guy. He's going to be a rock. He's going to be strong. He's going to be willing to step out. He's going to be stubborn. He's going to stand his ground. But he's going to be sculpted. He's going to be shaped. This is one of my favorite um, stories of Peter's transformation. Because Peter is far from being the beauty of what Jesus talks about. But he's going to become that. And I really want us to hear this because if someone were to define you, if Jesus were to define you, you wouldn't believe it. You would assume the worst. Because that's what we do. When I talked about the book of Mark and I said that um, Peter is a knucklehead all through there, there's nowhere in all the Gospels where Peter is portrayed in such a negative light. And the reason for that is that Peter is the one that told the story. Mark was sharing the account of Peter all through the book of Mark. And so as Peter looks back, he's going to be his worst critic. Yeah, I'm the rock. Yeah, I did this, I did that, I did this. Oh, yeah. And this time I told him, hey, you're not going to die. And he said, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, I did that too. He just goes through all these stories of him blowing it. Because when we are given that name, we we tweak it. We, We had a Friendsgiving 
I have some of our friends that were here. We're all at Friendsgiving. And one of us um, made the decision and said, you know what we should do? We should all go around and say what what we're thankful for about each other. But you can only do it in one word. So you'd go around and and some would say you're kind or you're patient. Um, And then the spouse would go, no, they're not. And then, then, you know, there'd be a fight in the marriage. But they'd go around in these circles and you'd share one word. But it was what you were thankful for. So the person would share it out of love and care. And I remember two of the words that were shared about me. And one of them was, uh, you're a teacher. And they meant it in a way to say, I'm thankful for you as a teacher in my life. However, at that moment, and I didn't say this out loud, but this is what I heard. I heard them say, teacher, but what I really heard was, you're a know-it-all. You think you got to always be right, don't you? That's not what they meant. And if I'd said that out loud, they would have said, oh, that's not what I meant. You know that. But that's what I hear. Because even though that was the name they used to define me, that's what I see in myself. This know-it-all. It always has to be right. I see it with my kids. I'm always arguing with them. Hey, Dad, look at that. Well, actually, no, son. That's not what it is. Like, I'm always correcting them when it doesn't need to happen. I feel like I see the negative side of that. Someone else said, "Um, you're a leader. They meant it in a positive light. I'm thankful that you're a leader. And in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, I got control issues. I've always got to be in charge. What is the problem with me? And that's why nobody ever wants to do those moments of encouragement. Because they can't take it. Because they don't believe it. And so here we are talking about God redefining you. Showing you who you really are. And yet the reality is you're probably not going to believe it. But it's true. We see here that Peter... As difficult as he's been on himself, I want you to see this beautiful moment here in Acts 4. It's not going to be up there because I want you to hear it. Um, Peter and John had healed a man. And they'd done it on the Sabbath, which is what you're not supposed to do in this culture. But the man needed to be healed. And so because they healed him on that day, which they weren't supposed to, they were brought to the religious authorities. Again, the police are involved. And so he's with authorities, he's with the police, and they have them arrested. And they say this. Look. We'll let you off. You just can't go tell anyone that Jesus rose from the dead anymore. And you can't go around healing people on this day. Who says that? Think about that just for a second. Don't heal on this day. Nobody's healing. If it's healing, you'd think they'd be overwhelmed. Like, oh my gosh, you're healing people. But no, just don't do it on this day. Peter does not change. He's still stubborn. He's still the rock. And yet, he's different. Because he doesn't try to fight them. That's the worst side of that strength. Your greatest strength is going to be your greatest weakness. And he understands that. But it's still his strength. He's not going to go, oh, no big deal. Hey, so sorry. My bad. Or go, yeah, whatever. Not just talk. Like he can't help himself. He has to speak up. That's who he is. That's who God created him to be. Don't be in such a hurry to change. But try to figure out what is it that God gave me this for? What is this strength for? I know you want to call it a weakness, but it's a strength. Why did God give that to you? At this moment, when they're saying that to him, this is his response. He's not going to go quietly into the night. Peter says this. Which is right then in God's eyes? To listen to you or to God? Or another way that, it, that it's translated is, hey, you be the judge. Should we listen to God or man? 
And I could see John go, oh, Peter, why did you even have to speak? Just don't say anything. But that's who Peter is. He has to stand up. But it's much different now than it was before, right? Before, he's cutting his ears off or he's trying to fight them. Now, he just says, look, we're going to keep doing it because we have to. What would you do? Would you listen to man or would you listen to God? You be the judge. And the authorities let them go, probably because they're like, I don't know what we're going to do. In fact, earlier in, in Acts 4, it says this. It says that the, the authorities were amazed. They were amazed because these two fishermen had them in awe. And they said, it says that they took note that these two men had been with Jesus. They were different because they'd been with Jesus. Like, but these are fishermen. They're not supposed to be like this. They shouldn't be changing the world like this. This is amazing. I can't believe that these two people are the ones that are doing this. Why? Because they'd been with Jesus. And we need to understand that when, when God defines us, it doesn't mean that he just gives us a name. It means he goes to work on us. And it sounds so good when we say it on a Sunday morning. Hey, Jesus came to give you a name and it's who you really are. Now go live it out. It sounds so nice, except I'm just warning you right now, it's going to be so painful. My daughter, she, uh, I was um, pulling up the pictures last night, and of course, I've got pictures of this huge naked man on my computer. She's like, Daddy, what, what is that? And I'm like, it's a sculpture. Well, why are they doing naked? And so she's asking me all these questions. So I got this video up, and I showed her what it looked like for someone to make a sculpture. You know, those time lapses on YouTube? And so she was amazed at it. This morning, she said, I want to see more of that. It looks beautiful when you're seeing it happen to somebody else. But think about this. God is in the business of sculpting us. It's going to be painful. Um, I have a life verse, and I chose the life verse. It's from Romans 12, 2. And... I say I chose it, but I think the verse chose me because it was the first time that I read the Bible because I didn't grow up reading the Bible. I didn't grow up in church. But I remember when I read that, I, I could hear God saying, this is you. It was as if he defined me in that moment. And this is what Romans 12, 2 says. It says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know his will his good, perfect, and pleasing will. That word conform means to mold or to sculpt. And the word transform means to change. And when you think of Michelangelo, when you think of the Spirit of God changing you, it's going to be painful. I don't know what it's going to look like for you. I don't know what your circumstances will be. But when you ask God to come into your life, which is another way to say you are going to follow him, then you are setting out on a path where he is going to do work in your life. And you will be shocked like my daughter when you see some of the tools that he has to use to reshape you. I had a situation where um, I was at my wits end. It was ten, about 10, I, I, based on how old my kids are. So if my middle guy is 10, my oldest 12, it was 11 years ago. Because my oldest was one. And... I, we were in Hawaii, we were on sabbatical, and it was Steph and I and a one-year-old. And we had this extremely difficult situation where it was living rent-free in my head every day. 
And it was fresh. It had happened in April. And here we are in the summer. And it's all we could think about. And it was just this dread. And I'm sharing this story with these mentors of ours, Leroy and Cindy. And um, they sat us down. And they said, you know what? We know what you're going through. And we want to share a story with you that we think might give you some insight into what God might be doing. Because we had a friend. This is Leroy and Cindy speaking. They had a friend who was a public speaker. They were, it was an evangelist, uh, a Christian speaker, and he would travel around. And I don't know where these people got the resources to do it, but there were three people that would travel wherever he was going, and they'd get there before he got there. And they'd stand outside with picket signs defining him. <laughs> this guy's of the devil. Don't listen to him and whatever else you write on picket signs when you don't want to hear from someone because you don't trust them. And they would travel wherever he was. And it got so bad to the point where he confessed to to Leroy and Cindy. He just said, I got to the point where I just started praying, saying, God, I don't know if this is okay to ask, but could you just strike them down or something? Because I don't think I can handle this anymore. You're sending me to these places, and everywhere I go, I just see these signs, and it just wears me out. You all have signs around you all the time. I don't think people are walking around with them like this. But you have all of these titles that you carry with you that other people have placed on you. Some of them are great titles, but they're a burden. You didn't accept it. God didn't give it to you. But somebody else that you feel you got to live up to it. Or like some of the people I've talked with this week, there were some people that said, I, I just can't seem to function because my mom said this. And it's stuck with me ever since. And I can't let go of it. This is how my dad sees me. Or this is what my, what I, this experience, this is what I was defined as. And so, much like you have to deal with that, this guy had it visually. Every time he went to go share this good news, he had to deal with these people. And he had an experience where he had a dream where God showed up. I don't know if you've ever had one of those, but at some time in your life when you're following Christ, most likely you'll get a dream like this. I've only had it happen like twice. But a dream where you know it's not a dream and God's speaking to you in the dream. And in this dream, he didn't see God. But he saw this huge statue. But the statue was covered. He knew it was a statue. And much like the statue of David, it was in this room that was built around it. And he sees this huge statue. And God says, I've been working on you. Do you want to see it? And of course he wanted to, but he also could tell that God was saying, but you can't see it yet because I'm not done. I'm still working on you. But would you like to see the sculptors that I've commissioned to work on you? Think of that. How exciting would that be to see the people that God has sent to do this good work in your life? And he said, yes, I want to see him. And so then from behind the sculpture come the three people, the two guys and the girl that travel everywhere he goes. Those are the three people that God brings out from behind the sculpture. They've been working on you. This is who I've commissioned to complete the work that I've started in you. I don't know how the rest of the dream goes on because that stuck out to me because then I realized in my situation, maybe that's what God's doing. Maybe this thing that I want God to just take away, that I want to just disappear, maybe it's there for a reason. Because I made a decision that I'm not going to conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but I truly want to be shaped into who God made me to be. And when 
they shared that story, and I thought about how difficult his situation was. Mine looked better, and it still wasn't something I wanted to go through, but I, I accepted it. I'm like, okay, God, maybe that's what you're doing. Maybe these two people are here in my life because you need to use them. Maybe they're my sculptors. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know what you're going through. What matters most, though, is have you made that decision to not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed? And if you're going to make that decision, I'm warning you, it's not going to be fun. It's going to be good. It's going to be real. It's going to be beautiful. But it is not going to be easy. There's another scripture that I want us to hold on to. And it's from 2 Corinthians 5.17. And I'm not putting it up there because I want you to know it. When, when we put scriptures up there, sometimes we put them up there and you're like, oh yeah. And then it just leaves, right? But if you have to do the work to get into it, it has a tendency to stay longer. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. If any man or woman, if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is passing. And that word doesn't say it's already passed. It's not gone. It's past seen. Can you imagine how many times Peter was like, oh, I did it again. I just, oh, what is my problem? The old is passing. And the new has come. And that way, the way that word is phrased is it's present. It's perfect. It's completed the new is here now. It's not, oh, it's going to come eventually. No, it's already here. Which brings us back to what we talked about. It's inside of you. God knows who you are. He sees the masterpiece that you are. And he wants to do that work in you. Jesus came to be the light of the world. He came so that we could be born again. And that's a constant theme that we've held through that we shared about last week that we're going to share about next week as well. We're going to say the same thing, but in a different way. But God knows who you are. And he came so that you could be created new. But you're not going to be a whole lot different than you are. You'll just be the better version of that. He'll give you those strengths that you consider weaknesses and he'll take those and he'll shape them and he'll chip and he'll polish to the point where that weakness you can see it as a strength andrew's like well you know nobody even knows who i am you guys didn't even know who the disciple andrew was in fact, like, oh is that who his brother was and then you forgot about it because he's andrew and some of you go well, I, nobody knows me i mean I'm, I'm quiet if it weren't for andrew the world wouldn't be been changed everyone's oh there's peter Whoa. no peter was the knucklehead peter's the one that got in fights but he took both of what they considered weaknesses and turned them into strengths. God knows you from the inside out and he doesn't make mistakes. He only makes masterpieces. And during this season, when you think of all these gifts, understand that God came as a gift to move into the neighborhood so that you could see and see clearly. And my prayer for you is that you will see who you are more clearly. But you're going to have to surrender. Surrender to him to do the work that needs to be done. To pull that out. If you could stand with me. I want to invite uh, Jaron Hoku up to lead us in uh, worship. And they've chosen songs to help us pray. So we're starting standing, but you can um, sit down if you'd like.
I want to read two more quotes from Michelangelo. Uh, this one I want to read because, um, because he was a believer. He was a passionate follower of Christ. And this is what he said. He said, many believe, and I believe, that I have been designated for this work by God. In spite of my old age, I do not want to give it up. I work out of love for God, and I put all my hope in him. And this is the last quote before we pray. The best artist has that thought alone which is contained within the marble shell. The sculptor's hand can only break the spell to free the figures slumbering in the stone. Let's pray. Father, we surrender to you. You you are the sculptor in our life. I pray for those that may be here that haven't um, handed over to you the chisel. And Father, just like with Simon, just like with me, um, I pray that you would give them the opportunity to hear you calling their name. That they would know that they belong to you and that they would hand themselves over like a big piece of marble into your hands. Father, I'm excited. I just got excited thinking about what is going to be different in this world because of those people that handed themselves over to you and what you're going to do through them for your purposes. We surrender to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.